Hello, Monetization Nation. In the last episode with Jason Falls, we discussed why and how we should reframe the way we think about influencer marketing. In today's episode, we'll dive deeper into principles from Jason's book, Winfluence. Specifically, we'll look at core principles, purposes, and applications of influence marketing. In chapter three of your book, you talk about six principles of influence. You want to teach those to our audience? Yeah, so that's that's the chapter uh, where I it, those six principles, by the way, are not mine. Those are from Robert Cialdini, um, who is you know he wrote a book called Influence um, back in 1984, which is now in its umpteenth edition. Mm-hmm. He's written a bunch of other books since then that are on the topic of persuasion. So he's a salesperson. So if you've ever gone through any sort of sales training, probably in the last 30 years you've probably learned something along the lines of those six principles. But in that chapter, what I do is I talk about um, an influencer, a young influencer named Ari, A-R-I-I on Instagram, who uh, made the news because she did something that was, you know, controversial, rubberneck, negative, whatever. She actually launched her own clothing line to her two point whatever million followers and then uh, after it launched and she didn't really sell much of anything, uh, lamented the fact that she had all these followers, but, you know, couldn't sell, you know, 26 items worth of clothing uh, to this two point whatever million followers. So the media got a hold of that and sort of, you know, pulled her out as, see, influencers aren't influential. And so what I did in that chapter was I broke down the, those six principles from Robert Cialdini, which are reciprocity scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. And I broke each one of them down as a way of saying, here's what Ari could have done differently to change the outcome. And this is what really good influencers do so that when they launch products or when they recommend a product uh, that a brand is partnering with them on, it actually does work. So this was a bad example because she was a teenager at the time. Um, and I even say in the book, you know, what, what kind of world do we live in where a, a 17, 18 year old kid can launch a product, can be an entrepreneur and launch a business, launch a brand, put a lot of work and a lot of effort into something. And we make fun of her publicly in the media and call her a failure. I mean, I think it's a pretty crappy thing for the world to where the world has, has come, but um. But at any rate, so I go through, you know, those six things. So reciprocity um, is essentially, you know, you give to get, right? And so if you look back at Ari's content, um, she was really just posting pictures of herself in nice clothes or in nice positions. There wasn't a whole lot of content or copy to her Instagram posts. It was just kind of look at me in this outfit. She was never giving anything to her audience. She was never saying, here's my fashion tips. Here's my advice. Here's where I shop. Here's how I pick out my clothes. She never really gave. And so therefore the audience didn't really have the instinct to give back when she had something um, that she wanted uh, them to, to purchase or uh, something that she wanted to have that reciprocal relationship for. She didn't establish any scarcity. She said, I'm launching this brand. I'm launching this product. Here's my store. Go buy all you want. Well, if nobody's ever bought a product from you before and you want to create some, you know, sort of drama around it, then you say, you know what, I'm launching this brand on January 1st, but I'm only selling a hundred of these outfits for the first 100 people are the only people to get them. Right. 
And then you come back three months later and say, okay, because of the popularity of those first 100, we've now produced more. Now all of a sudden you've created demand because there's something out there that's, that's scarce that you can't get a hold of. People are going to want that. She never created anything like that with her audience. Authority is another thing. I, I alluded to the fact that she didn't really, you know, share fashion tips. She was just, you know, a, a beautiful young lady in interesting, beautiful, you know, stylish outfits, you know, posing in interesting places. That was her content. She never really established, here's why I have expertise, authority, credibility around fashion and style, which is why you would buy from someone, you know. Um, you know, when a, when a fashion designer who has credibility comes out with clothing, people rush to buy it. She hadn't really had anything that said, this is why I have this expertise. So she didn't have authority. Uh, consistency is the next one. And again, it's, she had consistency in posting content, but she hadn't consistently recommended products. She hadn't consistently had brand partnerships. She hadn't consistently said, you should go buy this top or these shoes or this purse or whatever. Um, because that would have conditioned her audience to say, oh, I can trust her for recommendations because when she recommends products, she recommends really good products. She hadn't really done that until that point. So there wasn't consistency there to, to teach the audience to behave a certain way. Um, and then, uh, you know, liking is, is one of the other, is the fifth of the six. Liking and consensus are the next two. And liking is one of those things where the principle there is, um, you know, would you rather buy, um, you know, something from someone, ra some random person who approaches you, uh, or would you rather buy something from someone you're very familiar with? And because of the really sort of superficial photo only, not a whole lot of depth. Uh, and again, she was a teenager, so there's probably really good reason this didn't exist. But there wasn't a whole lot of, nobody in her audience really knew Ari. They just knew she, you know, looked good, dressed well, posted good pictures. They didn't know what she was interested in. They didn't know that she had a family or brothers or a boyfriend or like she didn't provide anything to give her audience a more emotional connection to who she was. And so they liked the pictures. They liked the style and the fashion, but they didn't know her. So when she comes out with her own line, well, she's just a stranger. You're not going to buy something from a stranger. And then consensus, you know, as much as we, uh, you know, hate to admit it, at the end of the day, uh, I think I say in the book, we're all lemmings to a degree. And what consensus refers to is if someone, if a bunch of people were buying products within the first hour, if you saw the sales go up and you had a bunch of people posting reviews and saying, oh my gosh, I got one of the 100 orders or whatever. Now all of a sudden there's this natural human nature for us to say, oh, I need to have one too, right? We follow the crowd a lot as purchasers and as consumers. Yep. And because she wasn't able to create that initial buzz and consensus that this is going to be good, what she could have done is reached out to a bunch of her other influencer friends, given them versions of the product to promote the first couple of weeks of the sale or a couple of weeks prior to the sale so that there's this veil of consensus that, ooh, everybody's wearing this product, therefore I have to have it too. And so that's how Robert Cialdini's principles kind of fall into the book. I kind of walk through this exercise of what could she have done differently to not be the bad case study of an influencer launching a product. What advice do you have for businesses about how they should approach influencer marketing strategically? Well, I think, you know, to approach anything, 
strategically, influencer marketing or social media or anything else. You have to start with your goals um, and making sure that your goals are laddering up to your marketing goals, which are laddering up to your business goals. Um, and so you have to have a really good foundational understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and what success looks like um, so that you can plan accordingly. Um, if you don't understand, you know, where you're trying to get, this is, I go into a, a, a bit of a rant in the book about measurement, because I say, if you don't plan to measure, if you don't look at your goals on the front end of a campaign or a year or a program and say, here's where I want to get, this is what success looks like, then you don't know what data traps to set along the way to find out whether or not you're getting there, which is the equivalent of putting your family in the car, getting to the end of the driveway and saying, where are we going on vacation? right? You have a pack, yeah. you have tickets, you have to figure out who's going to feed the cats or whatever. Like you've got a plan to measure. And so approaching anything strategically is this has to be about our goals. If your goal is to create more awareness, then you're going to pick influencers that have reach, um, that can reach a lot of people and that can carry your message forward to as many people as possible so that you're creating awareness. If you want to create conversion, then you need to be able to de develop programs and choose influence partners that are influential and persuasive at telling their audience to go do or buy something. And they can show you evidence that they've been able to do this before. Um, you know, if you're trying to change the way people think about your product or your service or uh, an issue that affects your business in the industry, then you're going to want to engage a different type of influencer, someone who has conversations with their audience who can help change the way they think about a certain product or service or issue. And so um, you really have to start with your goal first. And so once you have that goal, then you, you know, pick the influencers and you develop the messages and you execute the programs that fall in line with moving the needle uh, and, and, and falling into those data traps to trigger them to let you know this is, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to, how we're progressing on this, this path to get to our end goal. Because if you're doing it that way and you're constantly optimizing and measuring to your goal, then at the end of the day, when you get to the end, you're going to be, whether it's the end of the quarter, end of the year, or just to the next phase where you're developing what comes next in the campaign or the effort, uh, you're going to be happy with the progress you've made because you've been trying to monitor and move that progress all along. What advice do you have for businesses about how they can build an effective influence marketing campaign? <laughs> um, you know, again, it goes back to almost that same answer is to build an effective campaign, have very, very clear goals. Um, have a very clear understanding of your ideal consumer, the audience that you're trying to reach, uh, because if your audience description is a little bit off, then the influencers you choose based on their audiences is going to be a little bit off and you're not going to be as successful as possible. So if you've got a clear understanding of your goal, a clear understanding of your audience, then you can pick the, the really good influencers at motivating that audience to do what you want them to do. And again, constantly optimize and measure what you're doing so that you know if you're not quite going in the, in the direction you want to go or things are not quite hitting the way they need to go, then you can kind of stop and adjust as you move along. So going back to that strategic approach, measure to your goals, monitor and optimize as you move along um, and make sure that you really understand the audience you're trying to reach so that you can pick the right answer. In chapter 10, you talk about the four purposes of influence. Mm -hmm. Would you address those? Sure. So the four purposes uh, of influence um, are really, that, that part of the book was really about aligning influence marketing with um, sort of what we know um, 
uh, you know, marketing to be, what we always try to do. So the four purposes um, are, the first one is to persuade, all right? And persuasion aligns with advertising. We're trying to persuade an audience to buy our product, try our product, et cetera. So persuasion is, is very, very important. Uh, the second one is association. Um, you might use influence marketing. The, your purpose is to associate, uh, which I align with public relations because it's really not necessarily about trying to convert customers there. It's trying to align yourself with these influence partners or with these media outlets to use a, you know, a, 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 an old you know, media relations PR approach. You're trying to align yourself with these media outlets that have the audience you want to reach. Same holds true in influencer marketing. You're trying to align and associate yourself with those uh, audience, those influencers that have the type of audience that you uh, you want to reach. So the third purpose is validate or validation, and that's where ratings and reviews come in. And I talk a lot in the book about how you can actually leverage influence partners to drive reviews and ratings online which help validate your product and service to the consumers out there. Now, I will caveat that by saying um, there are certain websites like Amazon and Yelp and you know, TripAdvisor and whatnot. It's against terms of service to pay someone to go review you there. So right. you need to make sure you're doing it right and following the rules. But there's no terms of service anywhere that say you can't use an influencer review on your own website, right? So if, especially if you're a direct consumer brand, put that Instagram video that they did talking about your product right on the product page so people can actually see that validation there. So you can use uh, that as your purpose. And then the, the final of the four purposes is to enthuse. Build enthusiasm and passion around your brand. And I think this aligns um, you know, most readily with word of mouth marketing. And I think that's something that over the course of the last probably 20 years, we've all figured out is almost you know, sort of the, the ultimate goal for any brand is to create an audience of really passionate, you know, fans out there that are going to advocate and market for you um, and creating that word of mouth, that pass along value in what you do and what you offer to the marketplace um, is a much more effective and efficient way to market. And so um, being able to drive enthusiasm around your product or service through influencers builds that word of mouth marketing sort of momentum that you need. They can be the fire starter for that messaging that gets out in the marketplace and really ignites your brain. How do we work with our employees and use our employees as influencers? You know, that's a really good question. And I've seen a bunch of, of really you know, cool ways to do that. I, I will say about using employees, first of all, there's a lot of companies out there that are still, you know, bashful or even you know, risk averse to letting their employees have an official role in their marketing to talk about the products and services in the company, you know, uh, publicly on social media and whatnot. I think this is a really short-sighted sighted way uh, to think about things. Well, certainly there are companies that have, you know, lots of employees, maybe some employee problems where it's not the best idea to have certain parts of your, of your workforce out there talking publicly about your brand and you being okay with it. So there are circumstances where it doesn't make sense. But the people who work for you are your first audience. That's the first circle of people that you can communicate with that can turn around and um, carry your message forward to their family and friends, right? So empowering that audience, the people who are closest to the bone, I think is incredibly important. And so, again, it's about developing a way to communicate with them, not requiring them to do anything, 
but tapping into the ones who will raise their hand and say, I love working here. I love this company. I want us to be successful. What can I do to help? And then setting up some guardrails to say, this is fair and in bounds, and this is what's not fair and out of bounds. And we want you to do this and tap into their ability to share their passion about your product, your service, and your company with their family and friends. You don't necessarily have to encourage them all to go have YouTube channels, but I mean, heck, let them, you know, share something on Facebook about you. Give them content to share. Say, hey, if you want to help us out, here's some content you can share for us. It's very effective. I think one of the most effective things that I've seen with employee influence marketing is allowing them to say things that aren't completely positive as well as the negative. And the businesses that allow a, an employee to call something out when something isn't working the best and needs to be improved, when a business allows that, all of a sudden that, cre- that influencer is credible. When, when the audience knows that that person can tell them the truth about the business behind the scenes and not just only the good stuff, um, they're going to have a lot more influence. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that credibility marketing term that you brought up earlier, that's what rings a bell for me. Because if your employees are able to say, you know, very transparently, you know, here's our strengths, but here's our weaknesses, or here's something we need to improve. And you allow that and you embrace that and you use that intel to then become better. And the public can see it happening in an open conversation. Now you're transparent. Now you're honest. Now you're genuine. And now you have credibility with that whole audience that's watching because they realize, well, that's a company that I'd like to do business with because they get it. You know, That's they're right. not, they're not just worried about their reputation. They're worried about serving their customers better and making better products. And when we try to portray ourselves as perfect and we expect our influencers to to portray us as perfect. We're not credible because people know that's not real. And we, when we allow that imperfection, it's almost like there's a power that comes from imperfection. And, and when we embrace that, we increase our influence and our credibility. Couldn't be better said. Okay. The last section of your book I want to address that I loved was chapter 17. And you talked about how businesses can become influential themselves. What are the best advice and secrets and stories that you could share about how a business, instead of just working with other influencers, how do they become an influencer themselves? And there's a couple of great case studies in that chapter too that I really love. And and really, I think the best way to describe the methods to success there is treat your business as if it's a personal brand, as if it is an influencer. Think of it that way and study the way influencers in your vertical establish their own credibility and their own trust, right? They are going on podcasts. They are writing blog posts. They are um, offering up uh, articles, guest articles on different websites within the industry. They are sharing great content on Twitter or LinkedIn. They are, um, you know, sharing their thought leadership pieces on Facebook or even doing live videos where they're, you know, talking to other experts in the field and having discussions um, on, you know, even TikTok and, and Facebook Live and whatnot. So make your company do that too, right? Put yourself in the shoes of someone who is trying to to build their own individual influence within an industry, do those types of things. And you're going to find over time that you're going to be more credible. You're going to gain a following. People are going to trust your social content more than they ever did before. There's a couple of really good examples 
you know, in the book of that happening, I have one from my friend, Mark Meyer, who was working with a B2B company. And this was back when Twitter was really the primary place for that still is for B2B in a lot of ways. But basically he just started watching all of the influencers in the space, in the vertical that they were in. And he realized and noticed they all retweet each other. They all share each other's content. They all post multiple times a day, not just at allotted times, you know, three or four times and it's all scheduled. So he basically threw the the content publishing schedule out the window, started posting dozens of articles a day on Twitter, started retweeting and tagging all of the other influencers in the industry in his posts. And over the course of time, his company became one of the influencers in the industry. In fact, I looked at All Top, which is you know, kind of a, a ranking of blogs. It's an RSS feed kind of place where you can go. And I went into all top and went to their industry and they were the number four or number six most trusted resource in the, the list of trusted resources in that industry. Um, you know, several years after, you know, Mark Meyer had, had implemented this strategy and they're still ranked by the people that rank influencers in the you know top 25, top 30 influencers in that space. And it's a company, it's not a person. Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we should seek to gain influence, to persuade, to build association, to gain validation, and to build enthusiasm. Number two, to effectively implement influencer marketing, we should start by understanding our goals and our ideal customers. Number three, when working with an influencer, we should look for one that follows the six principles of influence, reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. Number four, we can become an influencer ourselves by treating our business as a personal brand, increasing our online presence, and following the same six principles of influence. Number five, we can have our employees help as influencers for us as well. To learn more about or connect with Jason, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website, jasonfalls.com or check out his books on amazon.com. And there's links to each of those sites on the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free copy of my ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your influence marketing. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.